let's give the band a hand today for leading us in worship. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. Uh, we are here on Labor Day weekend in a series called Old School, Lessons on God from the Schoolhouse. And of course, uh, we are going to take a look today at recess because it's Labor Day weekend, right? So um, we're, we're, uh, we're taking a look. If you haven't been at the first couple sermons in this series, we are looking at school. And often scripture will point to a particular thing or a parable will be told or, or there's an illustration and then something like so it is with God is, is follows it. I believe that you can look at school and a lot of the experiences that we share there and be able to draw some really profound insights about God himself from the schoolhouse. So, you know, we, we started off with kind of the, the first day of school and the idea of welcoming the outsider and that if you're an outsider, then you get to come and, and be part of what's going on here. And those of us who are proverbial upperclassmen, uh, our job is to help them find their spot, help them learn how to engage and to make sure that we send the elevator back down, so to speak, and we help them engage the, the God who embraced us when we were outsiders. Uh, and then last week we talked about homework and how we have the, the proclivity to want to dodge that because we're, oh, we find that difficult based on our attitude often, not understanding that homework is what allows us to grow and mature and things. So today we're going to look at recess, which you might say is the opposite of homework, but I don't really see it that way. Uh, recess, and, and I will just use the term joy or fun. I'm going to use a lot of words kind of interchangeably today. Um, but I, I'm going to go ahead and assert this from the outset, okay? God enjoys our enjoyment. This is a side of things that I think uh, people who grew up in a different time, maybe, uh, were not necessarily, this was not an attribute of God that was highlighted. It was something that was kind of like, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll rejoice when we're in heaven. Uh, but right now, uh, we're going to be miserable. And that was kind of, a, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Uh, but there was an idea that, hey, we're here to work in the, in, the, in the fields of God. And, of course, there's some truth to that. It's not that, as we're going to talk about, it's not that life is one big permanent recess. Uh, but it is something that, that simply doesn't, I would say, capture the fullness of what God's desires for us here on this earth. Uh, this is Labor Day weekend, and it's a weekend on which many of us have the day off work tomorrow. Not everybody does. I always hated that when I, when I had to work on Labor Day and everybody else was off and I had to work, and they, they just said, hey, have a great day off tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, you know what, man, be quiet, because uh, I don't get the day off or whatever. So whether you're working or whatever tomorrow, if you are working, I hope this will bless you. And if you're not, I hope it'll bless you uh, on the beach or uh, wherever you may be or whatever you decide to do tomorrow, okay? Um, I'm going to separate it from the day of rest, because rest and play are different, okay? Now, in Exodus 20, we get the Sabbath law, all right? Here it is, Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so that's where God institutes the idea of the seven days of rest. Okay, but he bases it in what happens in the Garden of Eden. Okay, there are three big kind of theological pegs in the Bible. Okay, now there's more than that if you want to I'm not talking about everything that matters. I'm talking about three things on which, three moments in the Bible that really hangs everything else. The Garden of Eden is one. 
the coming of Christ is another. The return of Christ, okay, is, is the third. Again, the coming of Christ is, includes the death and the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And those three kind of pegs, if you really want to see and you're wrestling with, okay, what would God's will be? Uh, how did he want the world to be? Okay, that's the Garden of Eden. What did he do after a relationship with him was broken to restore it to that? Again, that's the coming of Christ and his death and his resurrection. And someday when all things are finally restored once and for all, how will they be? All right? Because it gives you great insight into the will of God in general. Right? What is it? When he thought of creating us and earth, what was he trying to do? And how did he want our lives to be? Uh, recess is not a time for rest. He does create rhythms so that we must rest, right? Your body is built to shut down by force if you will not lay it down, right? Some of you are struggling right now, okay, to stay awake, all right? That's your body. It's a good reminder to you that you were built to rest at times. Before we um, kind of uh, did the crazy thing and invented the light bulb and things like that to, to kind of break the rhythm of nature... In an agrarian society, when the sun went down, it was over. That means it's time to, time to go home, right? So those of you who have been farmers or no farmers and stuff like that, they still often go by that kind of, of rhythm. But the reason that God gives us, I'll call it recess, or calls us to enjoy what he creates is because of who he is. If you've watched, like, I, I mean, it's great watching kids get waffles next door right now okay we're getting pancakes and waffles in children's ministry today right so when the kids walk in first of all it smells terrific in the kids wing today that's rare it smells great right you go wow it smells like a bakery in here this is awesome but the kids walk in and they find out that they're going to get waffles and their eyes are like they're like waffles at church this is awesome and you, you, but watching their little faces go like that brings me great joy, right? If you're a parent and you tell your kids, hey, guys, we're going to the beach today, and they go, yeah, whatever, and it, doesn't that make you happy? When you're a parent and you love your child, then when they're happy and they show joy, you get excited about that. You feel good about that, right? Okay, so God, who Jesus says, loves to give good gifts to his children, creates the world in a way that is not just a reflection of his glory, but it's one in which he says to us, I want you to enjoy this. An illustration of this would be when he creates man and woman. Terribly awkward scene in some ways, if you read it carefully. Adam is created. He can tell Adam's lonely. He needs a helper, help me, somebody else. And so God brings out a sequence of animals. And Adam's like, nah. Noob, good Lord, no. And he keeps going until he creates Eve. Then Adam gets excited. He says, Zot, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That is what I'm talking about. But the fact that God continues to keep going at it until Adam is happy, I think it's interesting. Right? He doesn't just say, oh, here you go. You know, you and Mrs. Goat or whatever, you're going to be happy together and just walk away. He doesn't do that. He says to him, I want you to, he wants to keep trying until Adam feels complete, okay? So that to me on its own, or you look at after God does some of his best work, say in the story of Esther, uh, where they institute then the Feast of Purim and some of these uh, Israelite festivals that go on every year, and they're told to keep them every single year. In many of the festivals, they are commanded not to fast. That's interesting. 
Why would you say that? Because fasting in, in the Old Testament particularly is viewed as something that um, you do during a time of mourning or intense spiritual searching. And he's saying to them, no, 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 this is a time where we celebrate. So I want you to eat. In fact, I forbid you to fast. You got to eat. Thou shalt eat. Wouldn't that be a great commandment to live under for the rest of your life? You shall eat. All right. Well, he gives it to them through these festivals when they're celebrating his activity in the world. Listen, brothers and sisters, our view of God, I say this often at New Vintage, will shape how we live our lives. If you see God as a very serious, perhaps angry, perhaps bitter, austere, joy-free person in the sky, then you're going to live a life under his lordship that resembles that, imitates that, is influenced by that. But if you believe that God is good and you believe that he has all the glory and all the power and he has all of that besides and he has created this world that we're living in for us to enjoy and that when I enjoy it, that makes him happy. Makes him happy. I mean, I could drag out a bunch of obscure stories that rarely get taught. For instance, there's one where he tells the Israelites at one point, he says, hey, listen, for this one time, I want you guys to hang on to all your tithes and I want you to use that money to throw yourself a big bash. <laughs> I never heard that one preached in church, right? I mean, you're kind of like, hey, where was that? Now, I'm going to make the point later, life is not recess. Okay? Recess is uh, a time in a school day that is meant to help kind of refocus you on the task at hand, let off a little steam, go run around the schoolyard, get some exercise, get the blood flowing, do that kind of stuff and have fun. And there is a tone in healthy Christianity that has a sense, of, I will say, of playfulness to it, a, a way of saying, isn't it good to enjoy the things that God has given us to enjoy? All right, so I want you to take a trip with me back to the Garden of Eden. We're going to start there and chart our way forward, all right? Genesis 1, 28 to 31. This is where he, right after he's created Eve, and so you got man and woman together. And he says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw what he had made, and behold, it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. He says, see everything around you? It's all yours. See that bird flying? That's yours. Even the broccoli? That's yours. Take a look around. You guys belong to each other. Be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy. Okay? Everything that's going on, so God creates the world initially. This is right before the fall, right? And and, and the idea is that man and woman are there, they're living in this garden, free from what we'll call kind of the, the toil that you and I know, uh, and, and the things that come on the backside of the fall. But the original plan was to create a place for us to live and enjoy the best that God could come up with in his imagination. That's what he wanted. And at the end of time, when heaven is pictured, again, you see worship and celebration and feasting I mean, it's, it's, it's like that, right? So you kind of look at the bookends of Scripture and you go, okay, this was God's ideal for us here on this earth. When this earth is um, 
just kind of passes away and we go off to heaven, then, then, then it goes back to this. So then how should we live in the middle? What would God's will be for us if we pray things like, may it be his will on earth as it is in heaven? All right, let's continue. Genesis 2, 8 to 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he'd formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. It looks good and it tastes good. That's what God created. God created the garden for us. Now, I used to think, quite frankly, that God was somehow against the idea of playing. That laughter didn't have a place in church. Uh, I wasn't taught that. My parents never really put that on me. I, it was just kind of an atmosphere. It was the air that was, it, that was there in the room, right? The, uh, there would be like a church potluck afterwards. And so the idea was you have to fully close out worship so that no one is confused by that event happening afterward that there's something worshipful about the potluck. Or that fun could accidentally bleed into the service. You don't want that. So you want to make sure you close that thing out with full somberness. All right? Make sure that, okay, everybody, you know, we're going to end it now. Uh, uh, in 10 minutes, we will gather over in the fellowship hall or whatever it was, and we'll go eat over there and everything like that. And then you get over there, and everybody's having a good time. And then what? You stop everybody so you can pray. All right? And then everybody goes, ha! Like that, right? And then they pray, and then everybody's like, ah, like the class let out again. And I go, okay, okay, that's, that's fine. I understand why we do it that way. You should, praying's always good, right? It's nothing wrong with praying. But think about the manner in which we do it. And what messages that sends about our services, about worship, about who God is in heaven. It says a lot. And it starts to train you to think, okay. Joy ends where God begins, as a young person, right? When you're not mature enough to understand what's going on there, all right? So what we wanted to do, for instance, when we started New Vintage Church, we, we got a couple of places that our, our name comes from, and one is, is I am the vine, you are the branches, the dependency on Christ and the desire to get as close to Christ as, as we can in this life so that our lives will be lived with, with, with the power that comes only from being attached firmly to the vine. But the other is the wedding at Cana, which is really a story about Jesus keeping a celebration continuing that where the wine has run out. And so we wanted to be a source of joy in the community. We wanted to be a place where maybe the, uh, you know, we, we, we certainly, if you're here very often, we take the faith very seriously. It's not that. But you can take things seriously and still have fun while you do it. There is not necessarily a dichotomy between taking something seriously, okay, and fun. Think back to who your best teachers were in school. I have two that jumped to mind. Mrs. Collins, um, I was, it was, she was my first grade teacher. She called me professor. I was in first grade about this tall. She was this very large African-American woman, and she had this, this, this set of jars full of goodness on her, marshmallows, candy, all this stuff. And she would ask you a question. And if you got to do it, I mean, this is way before the germophobic world we live in right now. But she's like, then you just go up, jam your hand in the marshmallow jar, pop some in your mouth, go back, spike the ball, sit in your desk again. It's like, bring me another one. Ask me something else. Let's go. You know, <laughs> well, I love Mrs. Collins. She was the best. Okay. 
And then I love Mr. Hart. Mr. Hart had something rattling around up here. It wasn't quite right, but he, he was my algebra teacher in middle school. And he was the insult comic of the school. And so the way it would work is if this was Mr. Hart's classroom, he, would, he had an overhead projector, and he would write a, a problem up there, and then your job was to tell him what to do. And he would solve the problem as you walked him through it. And if you blew it, okay, he would insult you. And he was awesome at it. So the best part was listening to him slam everybody. So you couldn't miss a second of it the whole time. And he used words in there that were totally un-PC today, uh, you know, to, to refer to people. And, uh, but it kept me on my toes. I was awake. I was listening because I was like, he called him, a, you know. <laughs> and so, but, the, but what it did was I never stopped paying attention, right? Because Mrs. Collins used marshmallows, right? And then Mr. Hart used a, a hybrid of fear and fun, all right? Um, I think that we know enough about how we learn and what kinds of things actually get through to us to know that most serious things, if they can be delivered in a way that's engaging or fun, then that's preferred. It will stick better. And the other thing it does, it makes people hungry for more, right? So when he says, hey, listen, guys, I want you to enjoy this garden. I've given you, take a look, the, I've created these plants and stuff that are pleasant to the eye, and they taste good too. Go enjoy them. Those testify to the goodness of God, but you also get to experience it, it with your eyes, and you experience it with your taste. God is not against the idea of enjoyment or pleasure. When I understood at some point in my life that my playing was also God's work in my life, that it was actually a spiritual discipline that kept me grounded in the truth that God is good, that he means good for me, not harm, that that kind of recess-like way of going through things, really, uh, that the world around me became more enjoyable, and it spoke louder of the goodness of God rather than loudly of the fall. Do you see the difference? God should not have to leave the building for me to play. He doesn't want to, okay? By the way, you can't get him out of the building anyway. He sees everything. So the question is, do I want to see him enjoy myself based on what he's created for me, or do I want him to see me walking around afraid of him, afraid that I might smile, laugh, enjoy? You know, in Scripture, the kingdom of God is pictured as some sort of party or celebration all the time. All the time. In the teachings of Jesus, the kingdom of God is most often pictured as a meal or some sort of party. We've already talked about the wedding at Cana, parable of the great banquet, the prodigal son returning home to be with his, with his, with his father again. There's parties, 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 parties. In ancient Israel, festival, 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 festival. I mean, there are tons of them. And in each case, there are usually commands for Here's what I want you to eat. Here's what I want you to drink. You bring the best food. You bring the best wine. You will eat. You will have a good time. All right? And that, but it was, that it was designed to point to the goodness of God, not to uh, just create kind of this weird hedonism that, that, that everybody goes through to medicate their pain with, with, uh, with, with superficial stuff, that there's something about fun enjoyment of the things that God has created that points upward. 
and closes the gap between our Heavenly Father, who loves to give good things to his children, and, and us. There is something that the spiritual discipline of play, if you will, helps us remember. That God wants us to enjoy relationships and food and sex and the things that he's created for our enjoyment. That those aren't bad things. This side of God can be hard for us to grasp because I think for some of us it's a little bit easier in our world to keep our nose to the grindstone and believe that our addiction to work is a reflection of God's will for our lives. When really our work is a part of God's will for our lives alongside play and enjoyment. And that sometimes when you take the attitude of a God who really does enjoy our enjoyment into your workplace, it actually makes work not so worky. It makes things a lot better, a lot more enjoyable. I mean, consider a school day. Recess is just as much a part of the day as math, science, English. And in the same way as it's part of the school day, playing is supposed to be the par a part of the disciples' life, in part because the joy producer, God himself, lives within us. So the God who likes beautiful things, good food, Sabbath, who, he lives in us. The one who likes to give good things to his children lives in us. And he wants us to enjoy that which he has created. Now, the obligatory caveats are coming. So if you're in panic right now saying, yeah, humbug. Let's all get serious again about things. When's the next fast? Well, fasting's a part of Christianity. It is. So is feasting. Okay, both, both are part, right? He wants recess to be a part of our lives. He wants us to take time to enjoy those good things. So let's ask this question. What does our view of work and play say about our view of God? If I'm a workaholic, why? What, what is it about my view of God that causes me to do that? Do I, am I doing this so I think he'll love me more? Uh, is it that I want my dad to be proud of me or my mom to be proud of me? Is it uh, I'm afraid he won't provide for me if I don't spend every moment of every day, you know, working my fingers to the bone? Does it, does it betray a lack of trust in God's provision? Um, these are good questions. Uh, you know, churchaholics, they exist too. Let's pause and ask this question. What does it mean what does my attitude toward work and play say about my view of God? We Christians believe that God created the world. We behold its beauty every day, especially here in Southern California. We've got lots of ways to see it in living color. We have seen his grace toward us in Christ. We try to hold it up as often as we get together. And yet somehow we continue to miss the power of Sabbath and his nudging, his gentle get out on the dance floor kind of way of saying, have some fun, my son, my daughter. And we live in a place and in a world that is very, very heavy right now. And recess might just be what the doctor ordered uh, for a time when the classrooms got a little tough. Uh, when the stress of work gets to be too much, an increasing number of adults have started to escape from different cares of the world in less conventional ways. I read about a place called uh, Camp Getaway. It's actually here in California. And it's like essentially a day camp for adults. They can participate in sing-alongs, water balloon fights, kickball, s'mores around the campfire, and a weird excursion out of the cabin to toilet paper the cars in the cabins of the other campers. Okay, this is not for teenagers. This is for people like me and you, if you're an adult. 
okay? Um, some adults opt for increasingly popular rock and roll fantasy camps where even unskilled participants can join in a jam session with real rock musicians, okay? One of these days, I'm going to Padres fantasy camp. It's going to happen. And I'm going to go play baseball out on the field, and I'm going to dress like I, I'm one of them and pretend for a week, right? That's fun. There's something kind of escapist about it, but the, the one that grabbed me was, was that one, Camp Getaway. Toilet paper in other people's cabins, kind of fun, really. You know, when, when I was younger, I was a mischievous dude. Um, my daughter Anna's uh, at Pepperdine now, and they got, they got uh, pranked by the guy's dorm next door. It's kind of not really a prank. It's kind of gross. They, they dumped a bunch of chicken feet all over the staircase of the dorm and let them rot during the day. So then the girls came home. They couldn't go to their rooms because, I mean, I know Romeo is dead, isn't he? That's not really how you woo girls. But when I was, when I was a, a, a college student, I remember once playing a prank on the, on the girls' dorm next door. It was good times, you know. This is how you make fun if there's no fun being had. And then you get mischievous. And, and so I remember playing a part of a, of a person uh, in the housing department. And I picked up the phone. I called the RA at the girls' dorm next door. And I disguised my voice. And I said, hi, this is, you know, whoever, Bill Tucker. And um, we need to come in. And we're, we're planning to come in and replace all the mattresses in your dorm. Um, so if you wouldn't mind having all the girls bring their mattresses and put them in the lobby so that we can replace them, that would be great. So, of course, then you kind of sit back and you wait. And one by one, down they came. Here come the mattresses. All the girls put their mattresses in the lobby. <laughs> oh, I was so proud of myself. But that's what I mean, like fun, right? College, have some fun. But you sit there and you go, okay, well, there's something inside of, of a lot of us that kind of want to, like when you leave childhood, um, like a camp getaway or, or when you have one of those moments of kind of gross immaturity, you know, that where you, I'll stop acting like a kid. Really? You know, there's, I know what that means, right? But you don't want to lose your childlikeness, right? Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And he, he's talking about faith there. But, but part of it, I think, is there's something about children that's innocent and full of belief and full of faith. And if we're not careful... And we don't do some things to shake our cynicism off from time to time, okay? To bandage up and heal the wounds with a little bit of fun here and there. I think we're going to be, um, we're going to have a very different task ahead of us. We will become jaded. We will become cynical. We will become people who say with our mouths, oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But with our actions and faces, we say, I have no idea what the joy of the Lord is like. And we don't want to be those folks. Now, this is important, those of you who are panicked that everybody's not going to pay anything, attention to anything seriously. It is important to note, okay, in order to enjoy recess to the fullest, we must be able to hear the bell, okay? I mean, I, I was a kid who loved recess as much as possible. I would not just, when the bell rang, everybody else would go in, and I would stay there until somebody came and retrieved me by force, okay? The playground person, the teacher, whoever, came and got me, all right? God wants us to have recess, but we also need to be able to hear the bell. Our purpose on this earth is not just recess, all right? I want to, I want to make that abundantly clear, okay? It's what God has called us to do. It's our vocation. It's our calling to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But we also need to know he enjoys our enjoyment. He also didn't create us just for play, um, I got a picture of myself here. Uh, this is 
the bumper boats. We can, look at that face of determination there. That, I think that was taken when we were supposed to be bringing the boats back in. You can see I'm happy about it. I kind of have that look of, you will pry this out of my cold, dead hands. Look, don't I? You're not, you're not getting me off this boat. Look. I go, you know what? That same expression uh, can carry forward into a lot of areas of life that have nothing to do with fun. And I guess that's okay at times. Like, we need to be, I need to be able to be a serious person. And, and you know, when you're teaching something that's very poignant or when you're, you're um, trying to be as good of a father as you can. You don't, but you don't want that look. I, I would prefer my kids see that look on my face when the playtime is coming to an end than when it's starting. Does that make sense? I think some of us have a, because um, I would just pretend I didn't hear the bell. You know, I just, oh, they'd have to send somebody out, yell at me, do whatever to get me to bring it back in. But you have to be able to hear the bell. There are people who don't hear the bell, meaning they don't, and some people that are in school today, they don't even do, use the bell anymore. Those are, that's probably a good thing. You know, that loud, awful bell or whatever that lets you know joy has come to an end. So that bell, you have to be able, when God is calling you to do something difficult, that's not going to be a lot of fun. You have to be able to hear the bell. But at the same token, you're not going to be able to do those things well if you haven't had any recess. Okay, Most of my life has been lived in very heavy circumstances because I don't just have my own problems. I share a lot of yours and a lot of my friends across the country and other places uh, and, the, and the weight of the churches and the weight of, the, uh, of what goes on in the world around me and things like that too, right? So if I'm not willing uh, to take any recess, to use the illustration, take it further, then when I go to take these other things very seriously, it's like, uh, I think it's in Of Mice and Men that Steinbeck talks about the guy, I think his name's Lenny, and he hugs the dog, he loves the dog so much that he kills it when he hugs it. I take things so seriously that I just I choke everybody around me, the joy out of everybody around me, because I'm trying to be responsible and serious. I want to raise good children, right? So we have to have balance. There, there has to be rhythm is better than balance, probably. There's a time for everything. And there's time to be joyful and a time to mourn. Um, you have two kind of competing things. You can capture, uh, you got George Orwell's 1984, and you got Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, which most people haven't read, but few have read in 1984, even though we talk about it all the time. But we, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, and they have a little bit of a different take on the dangers of some kind of future world that isn't a great place, okay? And so in, in Orwell's case, he warns that we're going to be overcome by kind of this uh, externally imposed oppression, okay? Huxley kind of comes at it. There's no big brother uh, required, really, to deprive people of their autonomy or maturity or anything like that. As, as he sees it, people will come to love their oppression, to kind of uh, fall in love with these technologies that take away their capacity to think. What Orwell thought, you know, he, he feared that uh, oh, books would be banned, for instance. Huxley kind of fears that there's no reason to ban a book because nobody wants to read one. 
All right? They're, they're kind of different pictures and different ways in which the world kind of unravels. Uh, and I think that for most Christians, if you live with God over a lifetime, there's a way of things where there are times where you struggle to take God seriously enough. And then there are times where you take life way too seriously. And there's a tension of trying to, to keep those in proper perspective and rhythm that, um, that goes with being a disciple. It's one of the reasons I think God wants us in community. It's one of the things I love about our church staff, um, that, that we can have a lot of fun even as we take things very, very seriously. The vision behind Sabbath was that God himself was our rest and that labor needed to cease so that we could focus on God. Um, but there, there's, there's other stuff, right, beyond rest. And I think, you know, when people talk in, in pastoral circles about our state in California, it's viewed as tough soil for a lot of different reasons. But really, uh, it's not because of ideology. It's because its people are constantly distracted. So some people need to do more recess, and some people need to hear the bell, right? It's, it's what we were talking about last week with homework. If the attitude is, my life is supposed to be a big recess, then you don't learn anything, right? You, you, you have to, there has to be a point in time at which you're in there and you're listening to what Jesus is teaching you. And the good news for you is, he's a good teacher, like, he's a good teacher. Like, he would tell things that would keep people spellbound in an era in which there were a lot of really, really, really good teachers walking around. He was the best there was. He told them stories. He used illustrations that made them go, huh, that didn't make any sense. Uh, Campbell going through the eye of a needle, what is he talking about? Uh, why is he always hanging out with these people? He was an intriguing guy. You don't be afraid to go back into the classroom thinking that your joy has to end. Our church... I hope, will remain a source of joy in the lives of those who attend here. You know, we, uh, Thomas Aquinas, the theologian, he said, God plays, God creates playing, and man should play if he is to live as humanly as possible and in no reality since it is created by God's playfulness. It's his way of looking at the world that we're in as, as a God using his own playground. He used a canvas to create the world that we live in. Well, yeah. Try this one out. Here's, a, here's what sunset will look like today. Tomorrow I'll come up with something different. You know, here's, here's the way that, um, you know, that I'm going to create beautiful people for you to be attracted to. And you can you know, get married and be fruitful and multiply. This is what good food's going to taste like. You know, yeah, some of you are going to like it well done, and some of you are going to like it medium well. Some of you are going to like it medium, and some of you are sick and like it rare, all right? So <laughs> but some people are like that, right? And, but every, there's a different way of experiencing the glory of God in these different settings. Even when things get bad, sisters and brothers, there is a picture of joy. In scripture, what is it that gives Paul and Silas the ability to sing in prison? Much to the chagrin of the guards and everybody else going, that is strange. They're doing it because their heart is full of joy. Paul doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who played a lot, to be honest with you. Strikes me as a very, very intense, kind of serious guy. But joy itself 
he seemed to have. He was the one who said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. The Lord is near. That's what gave him his sense of joy. Um, I'm out of time, so I'm going to wrap this up with this. Random passage very few people will read, and I think that's a real shame because it is magnificent. Zechariah 8, 3 to 5. It's a picture of the restoration of Jerusalem. Here's how God says it's going to be. He goes, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Now check this out. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with his staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Oh, Yesterday was the 64th annual block party, the little street I grew up on. 64 years. They've been doing it. All they do is take a couple of barricades, put them at each end of the street, and let the kids go nuts. And all the neighbors come out of their houses and they sit on the lawn. You know, and there's Alice Walton, and she's talking about how so-and-so's, you know, music's too loud. And there's, you know, whoever, and there's a guy who lives next door to my parents, and he's been there for 11 years. He's, you know, some of these people have lived there since the, the 60s. Same house. It's like a little time capsule. But there's something so great about hearing the squeals of kids, the splashing in pools, people chasing each other, right? When the prophet Zechariah tries to give the people a vision of what it's going to be like when God comes back and ends their misery, that's the picture he gives. God says, He says, I will, there will be a day, I'm going to come back to Jerusalem, and you guys, instead of being called an adulteress, you're going to be called faithful. And guess what? Old men and old women, once again, they're going to be sitting out there on the porch. Slow down, kids, they say, or whatever. Meanwhile, the kids are screaming and running around, and he says, and they'll be filled with the sound of kids playing in the streets. Does it make God mad? It's where he's taking this thing, right? It started that way, and we broke it, okay? Couldn't hear the bell. <laughs> we, we broke the rules at recess. So he restores it in the pers- through the person and work of Christ, and now he's taking it back to this place, right? Where one day the streets will be there, and the kids are going to be running the streets, and the old men and old women will be there. But the streets are gold this time. And the kids are out there screaming and running around. What a beautiful thing. Put it on your list of the reasons to praise God. And please, sisters and brothers, play guilt-free and know that it brings God joy. You want to know how a church is in trouble? No one laughs anytime, anywhere. I used to travel the country speaking to different churches at different times. And you could tell. You could just tell. Uh, it's like a really quiet family dinner table where everybody's afraid dad's about to talk. Everybody's real quiet and serious. You know, I think God's got something bigger for us than that. There's supposed to be recess in the day, and the reason that schools have recess is it makes them better students. That's why. You just can't keep a six-year-old kid trapped in a room staring at a chalkboard for eight hours. It doesn't work. Okay. And it's hard to keep an adult focused 
if there's no recess, right? It works the same in old school, sisters and brothers. Recess makes better Christians. Sabbath, enjoyment of God's creation is a part of whole discipleship. And so until that day where we can look forward to running around in, the, in those good streets, those real good streets, God invites us to rest and to play. Um, right now, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. If those of you who, uh, you should have gotten some elements on the inside, a little bag with the bread and the cup inside that represents the, the body and blood of Jesus. If you didn't get one and you would like one, we have some ushers with carrying them around. Just put your hand in the air and uh, we'll be happy to give them to you. Uh, today, during communion, I want us to kind of think about those of us who brought a big stinking bag of bricks in here, okay? I mean, a big, heavy, nasty burden, okay? And if you didn't, then maybe your sisters and brothers around you, uh, then, then you as a sister and brother, those around us, can be mindful of those folks and pray for them right now during this, okay? That God would take that heavy burden on their spirit and lift it through the power of his Holy Spirit so that they can learn to play again, right? It's always that kid who's so sad that they don't want to go out to recess. They want to go hang out under the canopy or around the back of the building, not associate with anybody or whatever. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. But if there's a burden on your spirit right now, I pray that uh, as we pray and as we sing, um, that, that God would lift that burden, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you for, for loving us the way that you do. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus, the great teacher. Uh, Father, for those who uh, are here that have a heavy burden on their soul, I pray, Father, that heaviness might be, might be lifted or healed in our midst. Uh, Father, for those of us who are uncomfortable with joy <laughs> in church or, or around church or anything like that, Father, I, I want to I pray that, uh, that we repent of that. Uh, I, I, we, we understand, Lord, that, that life isn't just a big uh, recess, but at the same time, Father, we don't want to frame you as a joy-free uh, kind of somber God. We know you're not that way. And so, Father, for showing us that in your Son, we give you thanks. And so, Father, now, uh, as we take the bread and the cup, we remember Jesus, the one who reconciled everything that we, we broke, <laughs> Father, and it points us forward to the great day when we will be on the great streets uh, with you and be able to enjoy you forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.